this world is full of people, including the church, that are so condemned in their hearts, their consciences, their in their souls, they feel such rejection and unloved and unwelcomed. And it's causing great problems in this world. I feel the most for our young people because they need to know the truth about God's love about how important they are and how special they are to God. Because I think the church, in large part, we get off so much into the how to do this Christian life that we forget about the who. Remember, I've been talking about if you're depending on what you know, it's only going to take you so far. You can know the whole word of God and some of these principles will help you just like it will help a secular person. But not spiritually. It has to be the who you know, who you have believed. And it has to be Jesus. I want to try to show you through some scriptures how precious you are in God's eyes because without a revelation of this, All the other stuff is just religion. And legalism, because you get into self-effort and introspective to the point where it will cause more problems than good. Faith will become a work. All of the how-tos of the Christian life and the instructions God gave us to walk out this Christian life, which are good, to help us, to build us up and to show us, oh, this is what God... Because every answer is in the Bible. If two Christians have a disagreement, if they love the Lord, they should be willing to go to the Lord and says, Lord, if there be anything lacking in either of us, show us. What, what is your answer here? And it's in here. You see? But you have to know and believe how much God loves you to empower you To run to Him instead of from Him in all situations and circumstances. Amen? In Genesis chapter 1. To go all the way back to verse 26. He said, and God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them using the King James today because it's the only one that captures some of these truths accurately. God created us in His image. Not just spiritually, 
But I believe that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is the one who actually formed us out of the clay, out of the dust of the ground. And it had to be water to make clay. And he made the perfect representation of man. Look at Genesis. Just move on down a few verses to verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is the man is the only one. Everything else, all the animals of the world and Everything else you see was created with the spoken word of God, you see? Only man did God form himself out of the clay and put his lips upon our face to breathe into us the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That's why I use the King James here, because they have a living soul there, and not just a living being or creature. Because nothing could be further from the truth. That's where some of the translations got that wrong. The word is soul. This idea that uh, we went from goo to the zoo to you, is a lie. <laughs> and it's important that we understand these simple truths, these basic facts. There's nothing complicated with God. Philosophy of man, the knowledge of worldly knowledge and wisdom is complicated. They like it like that. Nothing about God is complicated. He wanted to communicate with us and to reveal himself to us, and he has. But we are his masterpiece. Matter of fact, it says so in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. Jesus himself formed us in his own image. That word image there is like a picture. Like a photograph. So when you see him... You will be like him when he returns. The next part talks about the fall of man. We're familiar with that. Not any need to go into that. But in the 8th verse, well, look in the 18th verse of the second chapter just a few scriptures down. And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. This is the, everything else that God created before this, which is everything. He had already anticipated all the needs of man, not only of Adam and Eve, but all mankind for the entirety of time. Here's time. Like a ruler in the suspended in space. God created that. The whole timeline is already played out. We may be right here. 
You see? And it's actually happening in real time, but it's already happened actually in real time too in God's mind. You see? The Creator created time. He's not controlled by it. The physics of the world don't control God. He took care of everything that natural science depends upon in the first ten words of the Bible. Time, space, and matter. That's what they use to what they call the science of physics, to understanding everything that that it is. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens. There's space. And the earth, there's matter. We don't have a God that's subject to those things. The Creator is not subject to the creation. Nor should the creation worship the creation. That's where God gets jealous for us, you see. I'm thankful that God created woman. This is the first time He said anything was bad. You see, it's not good that man should be alone. Everything else He created up to that point was good. God said it was good. He created this and He said that was good. It was all good. And He saw Adam running through the garden with scissors one time. (laughs) That's not good. He needs a woman. He needs someone to come alongside. He's taken from the side of man. I love that. It reminds me of the Holy Spirit, who they call the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and walks and helps and guides. And I love that God created a, a helpmate for me. Wouldn't know what to do otherwise. Wouldn't be complete. Men and women are really, really different. This idea that the only difference in man and woman is one, you know, is the plumbing or whatever. That's ridiculous. It's, it couldn't be more ridiculous. And it's sad to me that so many have been deceived out of their God-given privilege to be what He created them to be. So, we know what happened in the garden. We lost fellowship with God. Look in the 8th verse of the 3rd chapter. We're all just probably a page or two apart there. And after this fall, after they did what they shouldn't have done, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife. This is when they hid themselves. But but do you realize that the Lord, He was there. He... He came in the cool of the day and the nicest part of the the day to walk in the garden and to fellowship with them. Isn't that amazing? His family, his masterpiece that he had created like himself, he came to be with them and just to be amongst them and to fellowship with them. And then when sin entered in, corruption, they... They hid from him. They lost fellowship and he had to expel them from the garden. Not because he didn't love them anymore. 
He says, the day you eat of the tree, you surely die. Well, they still live physically for hundreds of years. Their spirit died. And that's the part of us that can't be corrupted. Now that we have the Lord, it's been renewed and sealed. So there's, it's incorruptible. But back then it wasn't. So they died spiritually that day. And if they had been left in the garden with the tree of life, they would have lived forever. With the nature of Satan in them. So out of love, God put them out of the garden, you see. And then he began his plan for redemption. And it took thousands of years for him to accomplish it and bring it about. But he came up with the perfect plan. Jesus made the perfect payment. And now the Holy Spirit is here to help us, to empower us, to walk it out. And to lead us and guide us and teach us. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, creation, entered in corruption, hopeless and helpless and lost, redemption, grace. Number five. Yesterday, the Lord was sharing with me about some of these things and how much He loves us. And I was... I had to go outside because I couldn't hear Him. I I was inside and, and I was just... And he, I think he was calling me out outside. There's so much that I've learned in the garden and working in the soil and things like that. I'm not really supposed to right now, so I just took it easy. But I planted a couple of small plants. Spent time with the Lord, and it was amazing. I was so overwhelmed. I, when I went, in, I went inside, and I got to the kitchen about the time that I was just overwhelmed with His love. For us, you know? And I dropped down on my knees in the kitchen, which has been hard for me to do for a while, so I'm thankful. I did grab a cup towel for that first knee. But as I hit the ground and just began to praise Him and to thank Him, to thank, thanksgiving is the highest form of praise and worship. Just start thanking Him. I looked up, my eyes filled with tears and on the, the clock on the stove it was 5.55. And there's just, there's just no denying, you know. And when I finally got up from there I had to be careful not to slip because the floor was wet. But he loves us. And there's a there's nothing that we can do to, to have earned that. That's what grace is. Unmerited, undeserved favor of God, you know. There's a parable in Luke chapter 19. You're probably familiar with Zacchaeus. But Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came after his masterpiece. He didn't want to leave us in that condition. He longed for that relationship. And there's the grace of God, I think, is no more apparent anywhere in the Bible than here in Luke chapter 19, this this parable of Zacchaeus. Because he was a tax collector. 
And to the Jewish people who had been conquered by Rome, the Romans, that they had chosen, these Romans dictators had our occupiers had chosen people from amongst the Jews to collect unlawful taxes from the Jews, you see. That's why when you see Jesus and, and others refer to tax collectors and sinners, they're in the same boat because they were hated amongst their own people because they not only collected these unlawful taxes for the Romans from their own people, but they also added, added to it and took money for themselves, made themselves rich unlawfully. And so they were hated, and that's why. Zacchaeus was a little short guy, like Mike Bloomberg. <laughs> and instead of a box to stand on, he, he climbed up a tree when he heard Jesus was coming because he wanted to see who this Jesus was. He'd heard about it. I'm sure he wouldn't approach Jesus because he knew that they all hated him, the Jews, you know, and especially a holy one. He climbed up a tree and he's watching. And as Jesus walked past, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down here because I'm going to have dinner at your house this evening. No one had to tell Jesus who he was. He hadn't known him before. He knew this man whom he had created, who he had written a plan for, whom he loved and was preparing to die for. And he knew also that he would be persecuted for going to this man's house. They always accused Jesus. He would go to amongst the sinners and, and be with them and he never got it on him. But that's what it was. At the end of this parable, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus was one of them. And that's a beautiful picture of grace right there. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 45 and I wrote down the New American Standard scripture for this one. First Corinthians 15 verse 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. Remember what we just read? The last Adam, referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. And so he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember, I tell you, their spirit died when they sinned. And so everyone born after them, all the way up until now, is born with that corrupted spirit. So Jesus came to fix that, or at least to offer it, and to make the sacrifice. James 4, verse 5, it says that God 
jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. Some people say, why would God be jealous? That they, they totally misunderstand this. It just means that he loves us and he's jealous for his masterpiece, his creation. He longs for fellowship and relationship. And in the, the context, this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures, James 4, 5 in the Bible too. Theologians, it blows their mind. They can't understand it. Because you need the spirit of God to have that revelation. You spirit to spirit, you see? But it's simple. It couldn't be any more simple. In context, he's talking about, it's, he's opposing, James is writing and opposing those who have worldly values and worldly wisdom. And, and they're, they're, they're just stiff-arming God after everything he's done for them. And he says, God is, he hates that because all that prideful thinking and and condemned worldly values instead of biblical values, as it were, which they didn't have the Bible put together, the new covenant like we do yet, but they had the truths, they had the teachings, they had Jesus. All that is in opposition to God. He, he yearns jealously for them to agree with Him and to walk with Him, just like they did in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. In Amos 3 3, it says, How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So that's what he's after. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, it says that the, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it says that we belong to God now and that we are bought with a price. We talked last week about the value of that price. The blood of Christ. You can't even put a value on it. It's so valuable. Look in Matthew chapter 13. Are we connecting here? In Matthew chapter 13, there's two back-to-back very brief parables I'll read them both, but I believe the second beautiful parable is describing the redemption of the human soul. I like to just make it singular, even though it's for many. But I want to make it about you, your soul, my soul. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He's trying to explain to them in parables, give them understanding of the kingdom of God. And in verse 44, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. In which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath. And buying that field. You notice that the man is not after the field. He's after the treasure in that field. The man is Jesus. The field is 
the world. And you are the treasure. Look at the 45th verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is the merchant. This is a highly skilled buyer of pearls. He knows the exact value of a pearl. And he knows when he finds one that is priceless. This is not just a tourist. A pearl is something that is beautiful, yet born out of suffering. The suffering of the oyster, you see, from the sand. And you're the pearl. I can just see this merchant going home and saying to his wife, I, uh, you know, I sold, uh, I sold our car. Why? Why did you do that? Well, I bought a, I bought this, this, this amazing pearl. Oh, well, I guess we can take the bus or Uber. At least we still have our home roof up well. No. Sold that too. Sold everything. Imagine how that went over. Everything he owned for the one pearl, the one soul, mine, yours. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Just after Romans, first Second Corinthians chapter eight. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. He gave all that he had. He came down... From a place he had never been apart from the Father. Where the streets are made of gold. and Gates are made of a single giant pearl and things like that, you see. But those things are meaningless to him compared to your worth. And he was willing to come here 
in the form of man, because he had to be a kinsman redeemer, it was man who gave away the rights and privileges God had given them in the garden to have dominion over this earth. So it was man who had to get it back. So he said, I'll do it. I'll go. And he temporarily bankrupted heaven to come here to offer himself up. And you say, well, then the kings, they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh and he had the finest robe and they, they didn't want to tear it and they played dice for it. When was he poor? Well, just then, after he had been beaten and spat upon and run through a kangaroo court we know what that looks like. Beaten and crucified and hung there suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both. He did that for you. And he did that for me. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. I guess, I guess the summary, to keep it simple... We want to keep it simple, right? I think anyone that has come to know much about Jesus, he's, he's sort of irresistible, right? Even religions of the world that hate and kill Christians, they... They claim that they, like Jesus, they just stop short of calling him God. But there's really nothing to dislike about Jesus. That's why it's so crazy and so obvious that it's the enemy behind all this nonsense in the world. But just these two scriptures right here will summarize everything for you. Because I, I know you value Jesus, but He wants you to value yourself. He wants you to walk in confidence and victory. When you're sick, when you're troubled, when you're hurt, when you feel lost and alone, He wants you to Go to the maker. Just like you would with a, a car or something like that that was broken. You know? When your car is broken, you don't take it to the banker. <laughs> or she's just going to give it back. <laughs> you take it to the manufacturer that made it, right? Well, that's what you should do with, with everything to do with you. Colossians has two scriptures that summarize in just, 
I would say six words. The first thing is Colossians 3.11 spells out the fact that Christ is all. Christ is everything. It's all about Him. It's always been about Him. It will always be about Him. He is over all, above all, and in you all. Christ is all. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says that God had a wonderful mystery for ages and ages and ages, which has now been revealed. And it's Christ in you. Christ is all, and Christ is in you. Amen? Amen. Every eye closed and every head bowed. If you would, just raise your hand to the Lord. I want you to repeat after me, verse for verse. Thank you, Lord. You purchased me. I proclaim that I am priceless. I am the pearl of great value purchased by God, bought with a high price. I belong to God. I'm in the family of God. And He loves me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen.